morning. If you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. If you need a Bible, there are some on the back um, table open for you to, to take. Acts 13, chapter, Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 16. Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leader of the synagogue sent, them, sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. Verses 26 through 41. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. As to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy ones see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that though this man's, through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a good I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Word of the Lord. Thank you, Jill. We're gonna stay there in Acts thirteen today. Uh, first off, uh, it's it's said again or has been said, and I'll say it again, um, about Happy Mother's Day. And I was just, I kept thinking this week about it's an important day for the life of our church to emphasize because we were all given birth by a mom. And I think of Nicodemus in John 3, and he asked, can I, when he says you have to be born again, and he says, how can I reenter my mother's womb a second time? And so the connection for the church is that we believe in new birth, new birth in Christ. That uh, as Jill read, as Paul preached, uh, that he saves us, he frees us from sin and death. Uh, we're going to celebrate this in seeing it. Uh, we celebrate it every Sunday, but uh, particularly next Sunday with, with baptism, that there has been a new birth, a rebirth in Christ uh, by several brothers and sisters. So we celebrate it. We also say that that baptism, that act of baptism that we will see, is not what saves them or any of us. It is the baptism 
that God gives us of the Holy Spirit in our hearts uh, when we invite him in, when we let him in. I'm going to say this again, but uh, Jesus says, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, The door of your house, the house of your life. And so many of us are continually hearing uh, that knock, I believe, over and over again. And we will not uh, sometimes let him in. And the thing is, Jesus keeps knocking. And I believe if you hear the knock at some point, at some point you will open that door. So we celebrate baptism uh, with those who've opened the door and let Jesus into the life of their house. He saves us. He frees us from sin and death. That's what this passage is talking about, what Paul is talking about. We're going to look at it, but before we do, I I ask uh, Jill to read just the first couple verses, 13 through 16, because I think there's a lot. It's almost like a preface, but there's a lot that that we could learn. So real quickly, maybe in like two minutes, uh, I don't know if you can learn anything in that time, but uh, here goes. First off, it says this guy, John. I want to highlight John because we'll see him later in Acts. There was, and this is in verse 13, John is actually John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and John Mark. Uh, so much so that John and Paul got angry and, you know, they, hey, look, they were in ministry together. They were missionaries together. They were going out together. And then, I know, lo and behold, uh, both in the church or amongst brothers and sisters, there was a fight. There was a disagreement. Uh, Luke is being very real here, and John left. And we could end there, but what I want to highlight is, and I'm not going to put the verse up on screen, but 1 Timothy 4.11, one of the last things Paul wrote, he said, send John to me because he is helpful for me in ministry. I highlight that because there had been this profound reconciliation between Paul and John Mark. And I highlight it because uh, often, uh, particularly today, you know, we think about conflict maybe uh, with moms, maybe with internal moms, maybe with with people. I mean, in Christ Jesus, I I think our world gives us the illusion that reconciliation is not possible. But in Christ Jesus, in the church, it's always possible. Uh, It's always preferable. Uh, And we see it uh, in Scripture. And then also you have uh, Paul and Barnabas. So they continue on to this other Antioch. We've been talking about Antioch, but this is Pisidian Antioch, uh, which is in present day, or which was in present day Turkey. And just learned this this week, you know, you think about why do they go there? Well, they had converted this guy. We talked about it last week, Sergius. Sergius was a, a Roman political figure, really powerful guy. And apparently he had family and new Roman soldiers in this city. So you see, God opened the door with the salvation of one person, and then he said, no, you need to go there. They will be receptive to the message. And he opened a door for them. So God is using uh, this people. And I think about that with uh, folks here, folks we connect with, folks we disciple. God works uh, in and through men and women, you. So I don't want to just skim over that. And then finally... Before he gets into his sermon, I love how they say, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people. Uh, This whole message, the message of the gospel, uh, it is, it is always supposed to be a word of encouragement. It may be hard to hear at times. I'm not talking about just from me, but just from, from scripture. But it is supposed to be a word of encouragement. And that is what Paul uh, gives us. That's what Luke writes. That's what Jesus gives us a word of encouragement. That's what I hope to give uh, to you, to me. Uh, I'm always preaching to myself, I I tell y'all. So the word of encouragement, he goes through this sermon. He's preaching a sermon, as we heard, verse 26 
through 41. And he's really talking about the message of salvation. Verse 26. He says, the word of salvation has been sent to us. And I want to ask all of us, what is that? Tracy and I were talking uh, before she was leading worship. You know, what is this salvation? What is this word of salvation? We talk about Jesus saves. Sometimes we've heard it so much as, as the church is raised in Sunday school. It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah, I'm saved. What is this word of salvation? Paul was, get this, he was preaching to Jewish people here. Uh, people who knew the Old Testament, knew the law, uh, knew the scriptures of that time, New Testament wasn't written, knew what to do that was right. He preached to a lot of folks really like us. I mean, it is, it is highly, it is entirely possible to be part of a church, uh, to know the Bible, uh, maybe intimately, and remain unconverted. They're like, well, how, how, how is that possible? Well, it has to be a work on the heart. It is very possible. And that's why I think all of us have to ask, all of you have to ask, where do I stand with Jesus? I'll give you an example. It was a couple hundred years ago, but, you know, I love a couple hundred years ago, if you know me. 1738, a guy named John Wesley. John Wesley, uh, really the founder of the Methodist Church, but uh, also a great evangelist, uh, missionary. He was a preacher a missionary from England to the American colonies, preached, witnessed to uh, early colonists and, and even Indians, and yet he was not saved. He was unconverted. He goes back to England, and it was 1738, and he, he was just invited to a church to hear a reading, not even a sermon, okay, a reading, and not even of the Bible. It was like, a, I mean, y'all may not know this, it was a, it was a book, it was... The preface, so it was not even like the main point of the book. It was the preface that Martin Luther wrote about Romans. And that may mean nothing to you. But he was just hearing that, and he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. That is the moment that he always looked back to as the point, the moment of his salvation, which was after he was a preacher, he had gone on mission trips for years. After that, he said, then I became Truly converted. I say that because I have to remind all of us, and I'm not asking you to question your salvation. I believe you're saved. You know it. But I do know there are some folks that can just get inoculated by church and even know the Bible and be part of a church. And ask yourself this, where do I stand with Jesus? Is he Lord of my life? Is he, is he Savior? Have I opened the door? Or am I content to learn about him and leave him outside knocking? That is the question for all of us. So, and, and let me say this, and, and this may already be happening. It is, uh, it is entirely possible that the first time you hear the gospel or first time you're really thinking about that, or maybe other times you hear uh, the message of Christ, you get angry. Uh, you might be angry at me right now. What are you doing telling me that? What are you? Hope not. But... C.S. Lewis said, you know, I didn't run to God with arms wide open. I ran to God kicking and screaming, angry. Uh, who is he to tell me what to do, how to live? I surrendered. We use that word all the time. That's what it means. I had a conversation. I'm not going to tell when. I certainly won't tell who. But someone who uh, was part of the life of this church, member of this church, I'm not saying when, 
but uh, not married and brought uh, her boyfriend here. And she said, you know, I love this church. You got to come to this church. You know, I love the people and, um, you know, just love what God's doing here. So he came struggling with God, okay, so would consider himself not a Christian. And she told us later, she said, you know, he left angry. <laughs> he left angry because he was conflicted. He said, I liked a lot of folks there. I said, I like that dude, kind of giving the, the talk, the message. Shocker, I know. But he said, but what do you have to say? What do you have to say? You know, he left angry. I'm not trying to make you angry, okay? I promise. I'm not, really. However, the first response can, can often be one of conflict. It says it here, verse 27, that Jesus was condemned. He said all those things. The rulers heard them. He was condemned, and he suffered and died. So let's, what is this salvation? And sometimes it may be conflicting to you. What is it? Well, why, let's start with him dying. Why did Jesus have to suffer and die? It says it here. I mean, y'all know the Sunday school. It said they found grounds, no grounds for the death sentence, but they asked to have him kill, verse 28, verse 29. They carried out all that had been written, took him down from the tree, and put him in the tomb. He suffered on a cross, and he died. Why did Jesus have to suffer and die? That is a question I have been asked. That is a question I have asked as I've uh, grown up in my faith and as I was growing up. Why do you have to suffer and die? Well, think about this. All great love, all great love, there is a great exchange. There is a sacrifice. There's a, uh, there's a story which is made to a movie, cartoon, and uh, I hadn't seen the real life version, but... Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, I know I, I lose my man card. Not that I ever had it, but Beauty and the Beast. Y'all know the story. There's a great exchange of love. The only reason Belle ends up with the Beast is she exchanges herself for her dad, whom she loves. The only reason Belle ultimately goes back is because the Beast has fallen in love with her so much that he lets her go, and he, he thinks he will suffer forever. There is this exchange, and that's just, I know, one story, which I actually think is good, but it is one story... Any great love, all the stories that we love, there's, this, there's an exchange happens, a sacrifice. Uh, I think about moms today, the sacrifice that they made, the exchange of, of late nights, no sleep, or early mornings of cleaning up many accidents when they didn't want to, or having accidents happen on them. Amen? I mean, come on. Or the dad, you know. And the exchange, and then saying, man, it's all good, you know, babe, love you, all this. The great exchange of pretending that it was always easy when it uh, always was not. The great exchange of a dad. And I think of a father as the, the prodigal son. Uh, I was reading about that. It's my favorite parable. You all know it. You know, the lost son, the son who stayed behind, the father ran to him. One of the reasons Jesus said that the father ran to the son was in that community in all the small towns back then. Uh, that son disgraced the family. They would have stoned him once he returned. So the father was running out to protect him. He was making the exchange at risk of his own life to protect the son because he loved him. Even though he had left, even though he had disgraced the family, all great love, there is this great exchange. To eradicate evil, which sin is evil, uh, in the heart, in the world, there had to be this exchange of love. And Jesus gave it. You know, if, uh, like I talked about, if we know uh, in the Old Testament, and, and some of us do, and some of us 
may not know it well, but to eradicate sin, for the forgiveness of sin, to eradicate evil, they would sacrifice animals. You know, the, the pure, unblemished animal, the lamb. And apparently priests would sacrifice these animals over and over again, so much so that the temple in Jerusalem, uh, in, that, uh, in that time before Jesus, they were sacrificing, uh, there was a stream of, of blood uh, coming out of, of the temple, and they, uh, they called it the Kidron, because it meant black. Uh, there was so much the blood turned black. Uh, the forgiveness of sins, there's always this sacrifice. Uh, there's always the sacrifice of blood. Now, I say that, you know, ah, sacri- to forgive sins, eradicate evil, blood, come on. I mean, you know, I mean, you just get that from the Bible. No, I don't. I mean, this guy named Hitler? How was the eradication of Hitler possible? The shedding of much blood. Shedding of much blood. Civil War, further back. Uh, Lincoln gave a speech. He said, every blood, every drop of blood drawn by the lash will be paid for by a drop of blood by the sword. Uh, only, only a sacrifice, uh, only the sacrifice of blood can forgive sins. Only evil can be eradicated by blood. So Jesus had to suffer and die to forgive us of our sins, to eradicate uh, all evil. Oh, it's present. I'm talking about the possibility of letting him in and knowing that he saves you from the penalty of sin, which we deserve, from the guilt of sin, which we can have. He's saving us now, as, as Trace said earlier, from, from the very power of sin. He can save from the power of sin, of temptation, of just wanting to be king, of boss. And ultimately, he will save us when he comes again from the very presence of sin in this world and all evil. Jesus is always saving. Uh, verse 38 and 39, look at this. It says, therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Law of Moses, do right, uh, be right, uh, act right. I'm not saying we don't do those things or follow the Ten Commandments. Do we do it as a duty to be saved or do we follow it as the beauty of what Jesus has done? And that word justify there, you see it in the Bible a lot. It literally means, it literally, the translation is set free from. So it's probably, it could make more sense to read it like this. Everyone who believes in Jesus is set free through him from everything that you could not be set free from through the law of Moses. What are you set free from? Set free from the power of sin over our life. Set free from the fear of death. Now, let me go back to an earlier point that I made that, like, maybe that's hard to hear. Maybe that is, uh, maybe you don't believe it. We are, we are not alone. Uh, Paul said this, verse 41, the last verse that was read, says, Look, this is a work you will never believe, even if someone to, were to explain it to you. So it happens then, it happens now. Why might we not believe? Why might we be thinking in our mind like, ah, you know, it's good, I'm, I've been inoculated with it, but like, do I, I really, I really, man, it's up to me to save myself. Uh, it's up to me to set myself free from things. That's not what Paul says here. It's not the gospel. 
Why do we say that? Why do I say that? So, I'm not saying you're in good company, but, but I say that too. Because this, this sin called, it's the big one. It's not lust. The big one is pride. 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 And when there's pride in your life, you really don't recognize it, okay? Because pride says, I'm not proud, you know. And pride is there. What is pride? It's not, you know, wanting... Pride is not, you know, we think of pride like narcissist, sociopath, you know. Pride is just, hey, man, I want to be boss my own life, okay? That's why someone might walk out uh, of any church and the gospel is proclaimed and be conflicted. You're saying I'm not the boss of my own life? You're saying that, that I need to uh, open the door, give the keys to somebody else? You're saying I can't save myself? Yeah, there's pride there. There's pride. That's why we need what Jesus did. Because we can't wipe that away or chunk it out. I mean, I, I just say this because I know. I've tried. It's, it's always there. The more, the more you see that your sin, the more you see the beauty of what Jesus did. The more you see, yeah, I am kind of like that. The more you see the beauty, the sacrifice, the shedding of blood that that Jesus did, he accomplished for, for everyone. He just, he's saying, hey, let me in, let me in. And then uh, the next point, we talked about the cross and death, but then he rose. We love that. A couple weeks ago, Easter, we love that, resurrection. But what does this resurrection mean? What does this resurrection mean? Because it's actually two different things. He died for you, he rose again. So what does the resurrection mean? Well, first off, first off, really most important, it means everything is different. If Jesus rose again, and I believe he did, then everything is different. Everything is possible. Healings are possible. You know, restoration possible. Reconciliation possible. Uh, eternal life will be, not just possible, but probable. Life forever will be possible. End of death is going to happen. Everything is different. Everything's different. Paul talks about this. He even says he will, not, uh, he will not see decay. A new creation has started. I love thinking about this, saying it, you know, his blood stopped. His, I'm no science guy, but I think of like capillaries. I don't know if I said that right. Stopped. Everything stopped. He was dead. He was dead for a night, a day, another night. Early morning rose again. Everything stopped, and then he rose. So everything is different. If you really believe that, if we really believe that, if we think about it, then everything could be different in our life. We can give so much love away, so much love away to the hurting, to the needy, to the suffering. We can be spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. Uh, We can turn the other cheek. Uh, We can love our enemies. We can pray for them. Everything is different because we look at Jesus. Not just that he rose again, but he was always with the suffering and the hurting and the weak and the broken. He always was. He even, you know, think about this Mother's Day. His, the first people that saw him, whom he used to go and tell, were, were women. Several of them were moms. It says it, mother of, mother of so-and-so. He's mom. And in the first century, if you were, and all the disciples then went out and said, well, they've seen him. You would never, and love y'all women, but back then you would, you would never, in a court of law, you would never use a woman as a witness. Their accounts were... 
Like, it's a moot point. It doesn't, doesn't matter. And yet Jesus had women be the first to see him. Everything, everything is different. And you know what I think about it? It says, he will not see decay, though. Jesus still has scars. He told Thomas, if you remember the Bible story, look at the scars on my hands. So he had a new body, a perfect body, and yet when we see him, you need to know this, when we see him, the scars, the nails will still be in his hands. They'll still be there. She says, new body, new creation, but those scars remain. Why? Why is that? You ever thought about that? You ever, you ever seen like great artwork after, I mean, there were scars after he rose, showed Thomas. You ever seen great artwork, paintings after the resurrection? Always. There's always the, the hole in the hand. Why is that? It's proof of his love for us, one. Uh, it lets us know that in our scars, and we all have them, we can be dependent, we can endure. You know, it, I've said this, and it's really the first thing that comes to mind, but I mean, our scar, our personal scar, our family scar of, of Logan, my son, uh, with some disabilities, yes, it's a scar, but it's really, it's an act, of, he's, he is an act of grace. I'm not talking about just as a life. I'm talking about uh, things that we deal with because we have to depend on Jesus. We have to trust. We have to have faith. We have to endure. Scars of our lives are given that we can look to Jesus in love, know that he has scars too for us. The hardest part of love, loving Jesus, loving one of the hardest part of love, I think about this, I call it it's this dark night and you're alone and you're isolated and there's like no hope and, and no plan. The hardest part of love is just keep, keep going, keep going out there, keep keeping on. When there's no hope, when there's no plan. Well, you know, Jesus Christ, in the Bible, your Savior, he didn't just say, he was Son of God, okay? Son of God. He was God. And he didn't just say, oh, yep, i got to go down there, I'm going to hold my nose for like 30 years and then be done. It's, it's over, okay? He didn't say that. He was, the Son of God was permanently changed. He was permanently changed because he became human. He's permanently changed now because he's fully God, fully human now. Son of God, God, creator, was permanently changed, and he still has scars. So if he was permanently changed, I can be too. If loving changes me, and it does, if loving changes you, it's okay, because Jesus was changed, and he's there. And I can hang in there because he did. And you can hang in there because he did. So why do you have to suffer and die? What does the resurrection mean? The resurrection means everything is different. The resurrection means that uh, we can love that Jesus isn't leaving. He's never gone anywhere. He's there. But how do we know this? How do we live in this freedom? If you're set free from sin, if you're set free from death, how do we push past cliches? How do we live in freedom? True Christian freedom. What does it all mean? How does Christianity make us different? Well, we have... An encourager, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, who spurs us on to acts of love. And I think by him we live in courage and compassion. Courage and compassion. Sometimes it's courage, sometimes it is compassion. Uh, Let me read you something, two things I want to read today real quick. Einstein. I'm no Einstein. I don't really know anything about Einstein, just he's Einstein. Anybody know much about Einstein? 
You got some sound. You do, geek? Okay, okay, sorry. No, just kidding. Just kidding. You know, I love you. Uh, Einstein, but he read this quote. It's in World War II. Well, after World War II. Einstein, talking about courage, talking about the Holy Spirit spurring us to acts of courage. Spurring you to acts of courage, acts of love. Einstein said, I've always been a defender of freedom. When World War II began, I turned to universities to find defenders of freedom. I did, I did not find them there. Universities were silent. I turned to editors of powerful newspapers. These men were reduced to silence as well. I then turned to authors who passed themselves off as intellectual guides in Germany. They too were silent. Only the church opposed the fight which Hitler was waging against liberty. Until then, I had no interest in the church. But now I feel a great admiration and am truly attracted to the church, which had the persistent courage to fight for spiritual truth and moral freedom. I feel obliged to confess that I now admire what I used to consider of little value. So sometimes the Spirit spurs us to acts of love and courage. Other times it's compassion. Compassion. Uh, I love, Pam talked about Mother Teresa, her, her passion uh, for India there. You know, there's so many stories about Mother Teresa. Uh, one, there's a story where uh, there's an old man, and actually calling someone old man is a term of respect uh, in India. And Mother Teresa met this old man. He was brought there to the convent, to the ministry. Uh, of, you know, the ministry is to the death and the dying in Calcutta. Several of us have been there. Would love for you to go. If you want to go, talk to me. We'll go again, maybe this year. But the old man said, who is this Christ of yours? And he said, well, she, he is uh, he's my guru. He's my savior. He's our teacher. He's my Lord. And he said, well, what is he about? So he's about love. He's about love. And he said, so he loves me? Yes, he does, old man. I'm going to turn him respect. Yes, he does, old man. Do you not realize that he brought you here? He's gone after you. He brought you here by the nuns that went to seek you and led you here from the slums of Calcutta. He says, well, do you think I could love him? Sometimes that's the question for us. He says, of course you can love him. We'll do it together. I'll help you love him. But right now you need rest, old man. Wake up in the morning. We'll we'll keep walking and learning how to love in Jesus. Sometimes compassion just for the individual, the hurting, the dying. There's courage and compassion. The Spirit prizes, pushing us. Courage and compassion, living a life of of freedom, to be set free from the fear of death. The power of sin on our life. So, so the question is for you, for me, for us, is what will we do? What do, you ma- what do you make of this Jesus guy? What do you make of Jesus? Where do you stand with Jesus? Something else I want to read is by C.S. Lewis. Asked the same question. A lot more eloquent than I can. C.S. Lewis said, what are we to make of Christ? What are you to make of Christ? There's no question of what we can make him, it is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must accept or reject the story. What he says is very different from what any other teacher has said. Others say, this is the truth about the universe. This is how you ought to go. But he says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. 
He says, no man can reach absolute reality except through me. Try to save your own life and you will be inevitably ruined. Give yourself away and you will be saved. He says, if you are ashamed of me, if when you hear this call you turn the other way, I will look the other way when I come again as God without disguise. If anything is keeping you from God and from me, throw it away. If you put yourself first, you will be last. Come to me, anyone with a heavy load. I will set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. And finally, do not be afraid. I have overcome the whole universe. That is the issue. Where do you stand with Christ? One, one last story, okay? It's by uh, a woman who was converted named Anne Lamott, or Annie Lamott. I don't know. Maybe she goes by both. She's written a lot. Some of you probably read some of her books. She's not always a Christian. Turned a Christian later in life. She gives a story of her conversion, okay? And she said she was going to church, but the story of the conversion, it began, she recounts, she said, the morning after my abortion, so the morning after my abortion, uh, I was uh, just... She said, I was just getting drunk and high all day long, smoking a lot of dope, uh, getting drunk. Uh, she said, I, I began to bleed. And I knew I needed to call a doctor. And, but I was so embarrassed because I was wasted. And so I just laid down and tried to go to sleep. And I felt that day, she said, that someone was with me. Someone was with me. And I'd look around and try to sleep and open my eyes and I said obviously no one was there but I knew and she recounts this she she wrote it I knew just like the dog sitting at my feet as I'm writing this I knew someone was present and then I realized it's Jesus he's here and I became embarrassed uh, and I had shame and I also thought I was better than him and I thought about all uh, my progressive and my intellectual friends and writers and what they might think if I became a Christian. But then it went on later in the week and everywhere I went, I just felt like this person was following me. It's like this cat that is following me. But I will not, she said, I would not let the cat in because you know what happens when you let a cat in the house and give him a little milk, he stays, or she stays. They never leave. And I kept feeling like that little cat following me. So Sunday, she says, I went back to church. So she had gone to church before. I went back to church. She said, I was too hungover to even stand up for the singing. She said, actually, this time I stayed through the sermon, which was ridiculous, she said. It was like somebody trying to convince me of there being extraterrestrials. So, but the last song, it's the last song, I was so moved. So the people were even singing out of tune, but like they were singing in between the notes, and there was just such a, a purity and a joy. I was so moved. I began to weep. So I was driving home and walked to my door from the car, under this blue sky, she said, just like God's breath. She said, I stood at the door. She said, I just said, fine, come in. She said, that was the moment of her conversion right then. Where do you stand with Jesus? 
What do you make of Jesus? How do you know where you are? How do you know where you are? Well, if Jesus just saves us from sin, we can live in harmony and love one another, but all our relationships are haunted by the fear of death. Is that where you are? If Jesus saves us from death, then we know we'll live forever, but we always have bitterness and even hatred in our hearts. Is that where you are? He saves us. He sets us free from both the sin so we can love one another and death. So we don't have to be afraid of death. And it's true. He is rebirth. He is life. He stands at the door and knocks. He is knocking. It's not going to stop. You ever sat at your house and like tried to hide, you know, like I do all the time and like read or watch TV? It's like, stop, dude. You're like, well, I get away to a pretty beach or something. Oh, I'll just go to church, you know, and fake it. I get a great career. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. Praise God it won't stop. So I just pray that you let him in. Let him in today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for knocking, always knocking. Thank you for saving us both from sin that it doesn't have to have a hold on us, whether it is the sin of whatever, whatever it is. It, they're, they're all wiped away in you, and we don't have fear of death. Everything is different. Let these people know that. Let me know that. Let us show others that uh, now and always in our time that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.